Hello, we are Restoration Church Chicago and welcome to our podcast. You can connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Our mission is to glorify Jesus everywhere, and that includes right here, right now. Thanks for tuning in. brief preview on John chapter 6. John chapter chapter 6 started out with uh, a large crowd of people were following Jesus because they saw, they saw with their own eyes that he was, he performed signs and miracles to heal the sick in terms of those who were paralyzed, were able to walk, those who were blind, able to see again, those who have leprosy and sickness were were cured. So that's why they follow him. But then uh, as they were following him, Jesus had compassion on them because as a large group of uh, people was gathering together, uh, we were estimating roughly 20,000 people. We were talking about men, women, and children. He fed them by multiplying five loaves of bread and two fish. So this crowd of people, after witnessing Jesus perform incredible miracles and multiplication of the bread and the fish, they were able to get fed, right? You see, oh, Jesus is performing miracles and he's feeding us. Well, let's make him king. So they intended to make him king by force. However, we talked about this. Jesus realized their intention and know that it was not real. So he withdrew to the mountain by himself. Uh, And we went on to learn about how Jesus walked on water to meet up with his disciples in the middle of the lake. And we can also find out more on this in Matthew chapter 14, this is where Matthew went into a little bit more details about Peter getting out of the boat to walk on water toward Jesus. Uh, the, this chapter went on to say the people continued to search out Jesus. They crossed over the lake to, keep, to find him because he gave us food, he performed miracles and signs and wonders, so why are we leaving, right? Let's get more of this good stuff. Uh, but then Jesus told them that he is the bread of life. Uh, he, gave them, he explained to them, I gave you a little taste of what your ancestors went through, where God provided bread for you every day. Now I gave you a little taste of what bread, a physical bread tastes like, but in order to have eternal life, you need to take me as the bread of life uh, instead of the physical bread. And he reminded them that he is the bread for our souls. He's the bread of life that endures forever. And he's the bread of life that produces eternal life. He's the bread of life that when we truly receive him, as in spiritually drink his blood and spiritually eat his body, becoming, that means becoming one with Jesus. That's what he was trying to tell them. When you become one with me, you will have eternal life. But in order to do that, it requires for us to have a radically change, radically change our lifestyle, radically change how we live. Because this is how we used to live, but now with Jesus, we live differently. Uh, so this takes us to the last passage for John chapter 6. We will finish uh, chapter 6 this morning. So let's, let's read through the last 11 verses together, starting with verse 60. Just a reminder again, I am using the NIV translation, so feel free to use whatever translation you have. John six sixty. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? 
then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Meaning, he came from where he was, so he descended now. What if you see him ascend back to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the, very, from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of, this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. This, uh, I just want to pause really quick. This is why he left them earlier, right? They, they, they wanted to make him king by force. But he left them because he realized that was not from a place of authenticity. It was more like when you, when you get excited and you, and you, you want to do something, but once things kind of calm down, you realize, oh, wait a minute, I'm not that excited anymore. It's a little bit too difficult to follow this. And that's why they were saying, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? That's why Jesus knew the intention. That's why he left, because he didn't want to be, uh, uh, them to force him to become a king and force other people to accept him as a king. It was only a temporary excitement, not, not an authentic a permanent belief, if I can use that term. All right, let's jump back into this passage. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. The twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, through one of the twelve, was later to betray him. So let's go through. There are a few things within this last passage that we will go through, but it mostly speaks to the patience, the grace, and the love of Jesus. He has provided proofs, right? We talked about the signs and wonders, and he was teaching them what it means to have the bread of life, what it is to receive eternal life, but the people still turned away from him. His disciples. So not just the 12 disciples. We, we come to believe there were just 12 disciples, but there were many people who were following him wherever that he was going. So his disciples grumbled because following Jesus requires a radical transformation, a radical transformation of how we live. Right? He mentioned this last week. The Jewish law... Oh, i sorry. I mentioned this last week. The Jewish law absolutely forbidden them from any eating or drinking that would involve blood of any kind. Uh, we learned this from Deuteronomy 17. So when he was teaching them, he was specific in, te- in terms of telling them. He didn't actually mean for them to actually drink his blood and take a bite out of his body. He was speaking uh, uh, from a spiritual standpoint because he reassured them he meant, he meant for his blood and his body to be in spiritually in verse 63. Right? The spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. Flesh counts for nothing. Meaning, really, eating through the mouth and it goes through our digestive system, eventually it will go out. I don't need to go into more description than that. So it only satisfies us for a short time, very short time. We know that because eventually we'll be hungry again. And this is coming from someone who loves food. Like, I love food. I can't explain to you guys how much I love food. 
but it's only temporary. The Spirit, as in the Holy Spirit, gives life. As in, we're given the Holy Spirit as the seal of our promised inheritance once we receive Jesus. So the promised inheritance of eternity, meaning which is eternal life. So the, spirit, the spiritual benefits when we receive Jesus spiritually it cannot be had through our mouth because when we believe with our heart, right, we don't believe with what we eat or what we take in, believe with our heart. And we know that because the blood from our heart goes throughout our body, not just through our digestive system. So we will benefit. That's where life is. I know we have some medical people in our, um, uh, over here, but you know if there's a part of your body that the blood doesn't get to, eventually it will die. So that's why the spiritual, the spirit gives life. That's what it means. The Spirit gives life. So the Word became flesh. We've learned this in John chapter 1, which is Jesus. And he was saying, has spoken to us. The words that I have spoken to you, therefore everything that was spoken by Jesus, which is in here, or when we hear from him, when we spend time with Jesus and trying to seek him out, will always be full of life. That's why Jesus said, the words I have spoken to you signifies his, his words, right? And his teaching and applies to the heart by the Holy Spirit, by the true means of producing spiritual influence and conveying spiritual life. We know that when we read God's word, trust me, when you spend time, and as I said last week, about just digging in and looking for hidden treasure when we read scriptures, there are always spirit stirring. It will stir our spirit in terms of, wow this really convict me, or this really encouraged me. And it's life-giving. It causes us to be able to face whatever is going on ahead of us, face our day. Spirit-stirring and life-giving. God's words will always, always do that to us. So Jesus went on to say, yet there are some of you who do not believe. Do you mind going back to verse 64? For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not authentically believe and who would betray him. So he knew of the betrayal, right? He knew of the lip service his disciples professed, but he continued to love them. That's what's awesome about Jesus. I think sometimes we get distracted by the behaviors of the people. We forget about how Jesus interacts with them and how he continued to provide it for them. He knew beforehand so many people would eventually turn away, even though just a moment before, the day before, they intended to make him king by force. He still teach them. Like, hey, guys, this is how you have eternal life. He stay on course in heading toward the, the cross to take on the sins of all mankind. Even with the intention to save those who would betray him, would turn away from him, just providing lip service in terms of, Jesus, you're king, we're going to make you king. But then the next day, it's like, wait a minute, maybe not so much. So this is why Jesus is so amazing. He didn't allow those, even his own disciples. So the, his own disciples back in those days is someone who's very close to you, someone who loves you, someone who looks up to you, someone who has learned so much about life and your teaching. His own disciples who have tasted his goodness spiritually and eventually so seen the miracles, tasted the bread he multiplied, eventually deserted him or turned away from him. He did not allow anyone to take him off course from what? The joy set before him, which is to do the will of the Father and set the captive, captives free, which is us, like myself. I can speak for myself and I can speak for most of us. 
set the captives free, set us free because of the joy set before him. I can speak about us, I can speak about our children and our children's children. The joy set before him so he can set the captives free from the dominion of darkness. I love this verse. I encourage you guys, if you're not familiar with this, read this again. Hebrews 12 verse 2. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the God we serve. This is Jesus. Whatever we have heard about in the past, put that aside. This is the God we serve. This is whom we worship. This is whom we sing to. This is whom we get up in the morning, on Sunday morning, just to come and gather and sing to him. It's not because he is God, so we have to worship him, or he demands it from us. This is a God that we serve once we realize who Jesus is. So, if we are in a tough season or going through the valleys of life, or feeling down, or feeling hopeless, fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame. Right? So also, if we are at the mountaintop, or things are going so well, uh, or we are enjoying the things or the relationship that we've been praying for years and years and suddenly we get it and then suddenly we enjoy that a little bit too much. We forget about Jesus. As a reminder, continue to fix our eyes on Jesus, good times and bad times, because he is what? The pioneer and the perfecter of faith. I'm going to say this again. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame. What is that joy? The joy is to see us be united with our Heavenly Father. He gets nothing from it. He gets nothing. From it. So the joy, He endured the cross, scorning shame so we can be united with Him. So he, he treated the shame of being hung on the cross with disdain. If I can use that term. It's almost, that's like the most shameful, painful death known to man at the, at the time. They will hang you half naked until you slowly bleed. To, it's almost, think of it like being stabbed slowly with multiple thousands of times, being choked to death, being drowned, all roll into one. And everyone else can see it because you're hanging on the cross. Just imagine that. But he scorned his shame because why? The joy set before him. The shame of the cross meant little to him in comparison to the joy set before him. That's amazing. That's why we worship Jesus. Think about that when things are not going well or when things are going great. We love him, we praise him, we sing to him, we lift him up, we serve him, we honor him because of who he is, right? And what he has done for mankind, not just for me or for you, but for all people. Even for those who turn away from him, who, those who rejected him. And he did that unconditionally. This is the main difference between religion, as in an outward appearance, and a personal relationship with Jesus. Once we come to that understanding of Jesus this is who you are versus, well, I go to church because I have to. I go to church because my parents tell me to. I go to church because that's the cool things to do. I go to church because whatever. The flesh. See, Jesus said the flesh counts for nothing. If we can use this term, the flesh is religion. The spirit is a relationship. The, the flesh is doing things because you have to, right? Well, I have to because I this last week I did so many naughty things, so I have to go to church on Sunday to make up for it. That's religion. The Spirit is doing things because you want to, 
because you realize the joy set before us is to be with Jesus, to acknowledge Him, to thank Him for who He is. When we have that relationship, there's a difference. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. Religion does nothing for the soul. Absolutely nothing. I can guarantee, and I say that with, with so much certainty, I've seen religion. I grew up in a culture of religious and legalistic setting. It gives nothing. It does nothing for the soul. The flesh leads to death. The spirit leads to life. Religion puts burden on people. Right? It's because I know this, so you need to do that. You have to do that in order for you to be better. It puts relationship in terms of relationship with Jesus. Lift burden off people. Religion is about serving self. Relationship is about serving others, right? The flesh leads to temporary satisfaction, right? We talked about this. The crowd get fed temporarily, and then the crowd get to see some of the miracles that Jesus did, but it was, and they wanted to make him king, but it was only temporary, like, right? Because the next day, they said, oh, wait a minute. I don't know if I really want him to be my king anymore. But the spirit, when we have relationship with Jesus and know who he is and what he has done, leads to eternal joy eternal life. I'm going to read this again because once we get, get the understanding of what he went through just from this chapter, the rejection and, and, and how people treated him, putting up with a bunch of takers. Can I use that term? Takers. But he still went to the cross. Take, fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning is shame. It's amazing. He endured the cross so we can be reconciled. It's for us. He did it for us so we can reconcile with our Heavenly Father. So anyway, okay, so let's, let's continue with verse uh, 66 and 67. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer follow him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. When I read this, I take comfort in those not listening are those not wanting to listen when we share the gospel. I take comfort from, us, from the fact that the greatest evangelist of all time, the greatest evangelist of all time ever, had many of his own disciples left him. Those who had seen his goodness and tasted his goodness of the signs and wonders eventually turned away from him. So it's not about us. It's not about me. You see this, even those that turn away from Jesus himself. So Jesus as fully God, knew what would happen. But this question, the question that Jesus asked the twelve, was from Jesus, I felt, Jesus fully man. Because when I read this question, you do not want to leave too, do you? I just felt such sadness. Do you ever have a sadness where suddenly someone you love, someone who, who thought you can count on, someone that, 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 that you, 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 you feel so close to, just turn away and just walk away because they want nothing to do with you. I feel like that's what it was. Such a sadness in that question when he was asking the 12. I feel the hurt from how others treated him. You know, people just took what they wanted from Jesus. That's why I used to tell them, take us. Well, Jesus, show me your tricks. Show me your miracles. Show me your signs and wonders. Make me well again. Feed me. Feed me with my bread. And then tell me some good stories so I can hear. But when they found out what was required of them in order to really have eternal life, which is to believe in the Son of God, to believe in Jesus, they said, this is hard teaching. 
Like, well, who can accept this? This is really hard. I have to change the way I live? I don't want it. However, thankfully, Jesus is not like any one of us because I probably would have rejected him. So it's like, screw you guys. Oh, sorry. Forget you guys. I'm not going to the cross for any one of you. But thankfully, Jesus is not like any one of us because of his incredible love for us and the joy set before him. Right, the joy of mankind being united with our Heavenly Father through His death on the cross. He stayed the course. He kept going. This is why there's no one like Jesus. There's absolutely no one like Jesus. This question is also to get those who remain with Jesus to reflect on why they will not leave. Because sometimes you have a reason for why you leave, right? Sometimes you have a reason for why you stay, and Jesus wants them to reflect on why are you staying because everyone else is leaving. Think about it and answer me. Believe in Jesus as the Son of God, which requires for them. When we believe in Jesus, it requires, it requires us to abandon our lifestyle, right? What we used to know before. Abandon the culture that we grew up in. Abandon the behaviors that we used to have. It is not an easy thing to do. That's why the disciples said, this is hard teaching. In fact, it is very difficult to do, if I can be honest to say that. Because I enjoy life in my 20s and 30s. have no responsibility, no care for anything. But now that we know who Jesus is and what he has done for us, we are being encouraged and led and convicted by the Holy Spirit. It is hard, but the trade-off is this. Who would have the words of eternal life? That's what Simon Peter said. No one has it, and nothing else has it. No one anywhere, and nothing else has it. There are are many make-believe God, but there's only one true living God, right? There are so many philosophies out there on how to live. You got socialism, communism, democracy, what, what have you. But there's only one way to eternal life. Only one who has the words of the Spirit and eternal life. That is Jesus. Because Simon Peter went on to say, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Because if we can answer like that, then we know we have an authentic relationship with Jesus. We're not guessing, well, I'm guessing you are God, so I'm going to stay. Or I'm assuming that you are God, so I'm going to stay. Or I'm I'm thinking, I'm deducting that you guys, so maybe I'll stay a little bit longer to see what other miracles you can do. Or, well, other people have told me these, about, these things about you, so I will stay. No, we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Okay, I, I want to move on really quick. So John 6 ended with, with, with Jesus giving one last warning to Judas. Then Jesus replied in 70 and 71, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, the one of the twelve, was later to betray him. This, I felt, also spoke to the compassion of Jesus. Jesus knew what would happen, but he wanted to give a warning to Judas to say, hey, Judas, I know what you're going to do. I know what you're going to do. So, I'm giving you a warning. And and kept in mind that Judas, he was one of the twelve, right? One of the twelve when Simon Peter answered. He was one of the twelve in the we. We have come to believe, as in all of us right here, the twelve of us. We have come to believe and know 
that you are the Holy One of God. So, so Jesus still gave him a warning. And from the side of Judas, it must take a lot to know that Jesus, have, I have come to believe and know that you are God and still turn away from him. The hardest of hearts. Right? Judas was warned, but still would not allow his conscience and the conviction from the Holy Spirit to repent. And I just felt I just want to throw that out there because that's, that's amazing, right, to, to have come to believe and know and still turn away. But in terms of Jesus, he always wants to speak to us. He always wants to bring us back. He always wants to remind us of who he is. I want to conclude by emphasizing this. Jesus, his compassion for all people is amazing. And his patience with all people, to all people, is amazing, right? His compassion, all these people were following him. He knew they would turn away, but he wanted to still teach them. He still wanted to feed them, and he still wanted to provide for them. Um, we, we see this in uh, verse 5, and we also see it in Matthew chapter 14. They intended to make him king by force. I've been saying this, which in turn forcing others to accept Jesus as king. He didn't think that was a good idea, but he still taught them that, hey, I'm the bread of life. Don't force things on other people. I'm the bread of life. You, take on my spirit and have eternal life. Despite the pettiness of people, right? They just follow him for signs. Like, Jesus, give me this, give me that, provide for me, follow him for food, uh, make sure I get through the situations, uh, provide a miracle for me. And after they get what they wanted, they left when they realized what was required of them for eternal life. Jesus continued despite the hurt, the rejection, the betrayal, being used. Can I use that term? And I'm so thankful that he did not give up on us, that he would not give up on us, ever. I'm, thank I'm thankful he continued. We're thankful. We should be thankful that he continued because of the joy set before him. The joy I'm thankful because I gained from it, not him. I gained from it. We gained from it. Because his joy is now my joy. His joy is now our joy. Because we can teach this to our children so they can have that joy also. Because now I have that joy because of his joy. And we can teach to our children so they can have that joy of experiencing and tasting the goodness and the having eternal life. I'm thankful because Jesus always wants the best for us. Because I probably would say, well, you turn away, you deserve it. You get nothing. But eventually, if people turn and turn to Jesus, he's still there. He's always there. Regardless of how he was treated, regardless if he was abused or used, he knew how we would treat him, but he still died for us anyway. That is a love that cannot be rationalized right? or explained. We may think we can, but if, if we put ourselves in Jesus' positions, I'm pretty certain that most of us would not be able to go through what Jesus went through. So keep in mind, take a minute to let this sink in. I, wanna, I want all of us to take a minute to let this sink in. It was not an action of a man. It was not an action of a human being. This is the action of a living God through whom all things were created. This is an action of a living God that breathed life into dry bones. He snapped his finger, things can happen. This is an action of a living God who spoke things into existence. He would speak and things would happen. For example, I will have a Porsche outside waiting for me. That would happen. Don't you guys want that? 
That would be awesome, right? Think about that. That is the action of a living God who speaks life into existence. I want to have three sons, so it's always Sunday, even the wintertime. If Jesus said that, it would happen. That is an action of a living God. So when we put that into perspective, the one true living God who existed before creation took on the human flesh to endure the insult, the rejection, the abuse, the mistreated, taken advantage of, used, complete betrayal. He experienced all those things while trying to tell everyone that he came for us. He came to save mankind from an eternal death. That, so think about that. That is amazing. That caused me to be even more amazed of who Jesus is and what he has done and why he went through those things. He experienced all those things, went through with the worst and the most painful death known to man at the time, and still continue for what? The joy set before him. And we always need to keep that in perspective. Jesus did all this because of the joy set before him, meaning he did all this for us, for our benefit, so we can taste eternal life. That is why who we worship. That is why who we honor. That's why who we glorify, right? We talked about that all the time. But after a while, it may seem like it's empty words, but if we stop and think about Jesus and what he has done and who he is, this is who we can say that we authentically follow. And this is who we live for. There's an authenticity instead of us saying it, but we're living it out. To say, thank you, Jesus. The more we know about Jesus, and I want to encourage all of us to always learn more about Jesus, the more that we are amazed at Him. So we can share with people about our relationship, our revelation of Him, and who we know of Jesus. Not because, well, this is what I heard on Sunday, but it's because this is who I know of who Jesus is. So there's so much in John chapter 6. I want to encourage you guys, as I always do every Sunday, to go through and read through this chapter again, read through each verses, and let God speak to us. Because there's life and there's spirit in scriptures, just as Jesus said. And, um, <clears throat> and then as we continue, it's only through chapter 6. There are many more chapters, so I'm hoping eventually we'll be, we will be able to go through this whole book and truly learn and have a greater revelation of who Jesus really is. Thanks again for listening. We hope you were encouraged. Don't forget to connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram.